just leave you a couple. Shit. They're coming. They're coming. Sorry, they're back there. Mars. The rocket ship left yesterday. 200 colonists. But white is on the moon. But white is on are the there, moon. Are there ghosts? But white is on the moon. But white is on the moon. Rawl did not join the surveyor pilot in the same fashion as Kay. Rawl had come to the pilot direct from another work program on the production farm where they already had employment. The farm grew exclusively for the Ellie Tower, and Rawl lived in its on-site workers' quarters outside the tower's main ring. They had come there from a contract farmhand position at another bigger farm that was part of a water management and grow service provider. Rawl, at the point of reaching Ellie's production farm, was someone doing the work of experienced engineers and stewards and logistics managers, yet their employer considered them as voluntary production line staff or non-essential operations worker or, 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 or simply someone who need not meet and speak directly with the top-tier managers. Simply someone who could be relied upon to receive instruction and put it into production. Rawl felt it was as autonomous as one could be, depending on how you looked at it, given their circumstances. It was only a handful of days ago that one of Rawl's handlers had gossiped Pena Fiel had finally cleared her rehab, and the next stage of the pilot could begin. Rawl sipped their exquisite, nutrient-dense fruit juice in silence, and looked back at their handler with brows raised in one of those oh-you-don't-say expressions. Yup, Rawl's handler continued. Their team had just today received instructions to prepare their charge for the first official meet-and-greet. Rawl nodded, feigning a willingness for the next step, and wondered why the entire pilot's progression seemed to hinge on a single person, and what this meet-and-greet was going to entail. Point of conversation. What do you think of the colors? The fit? Yeah, they should have made the cuff larger. Used 60% linen instead of just half. Made the rib knit tighter. And other aficionado quibbles of which Rawl could barely be bothered to respond. The space was intimate, a greenhouse garden, and Rawl had to wonder who took care of it all. 
There was actual sunlight. Butterflies flew and danced on the air and billowy canopy trees. There was food laid out over there and a small stage set up over there and four different groupings of chairs numbered to accommodate a surveyor and all of their handlers. Rawl watched in awe as the other three groups moved from the entrance to their designated seating. A bird cawed. Rawl saw a dense, broad person with deeply melanated, lustrous skin. They seemed at once brooding and skittish. Rawl saw someone in their matching meet-and-greet attire, but who seemed entirely chummy with their handler group, who made sudden and too intense, no-good-boundary-style lusty eye contact and seemed to consider themselves the center of attention by how much they carried on and angled and arched and stretched their body. And Rawl saw someone whose skin had a bizarre pallor and blotchy mottled patches and weirdly striated sections. This person seemed sullen, angry, looking around with a clenched jaw, and who walked so slowly and deliberately, Rawl wondered if they were in pain or what kind of pain they were in. You must be Miss Pangafield, a voice exclaimed just as Rawl thought the same. Slowly, a handler chided. Their group all seemed in good, carefree spirits. What? Suli laughed. Just wait, okay? Dr. Orrin isn't even here yet. You know this has to be official. Rawl looked across the small gulf of humid, lush, green sunroom and unexpectedly straight into the sullen person's eyes, who seemed to let them look back to find something they had to offer to whomever could perceive. Then Rawl looked away, mind empty except for the lingering contact and the intuitive awareness they had something to share. Then Rawl observed the first person share a similar look with Peña Fiel, even more acquainted. All will be revealed, Rawl reassured himself. Good morning! The robot progeny voice of the gnat rang out, capturing everyone's attention to the approaching footfalls of Dr. Orne. She was in her usual attire, but flexing just a tiny little bit and so obvious given the overwhelming routine expectations otherwise. The doctor took up a languid pose against her speaking podium and launched in. Cyborgs! When I was first entering into my field, that's what they called it, our area of concern, cybernetic organisms. Cybernetics, originally a field of study for getting Americans on the moon and into outer space. Adapt the human animal to the environment of space. But we never got that far. The achievement never ceased, never realized, fallen short due to lack of imagination. Men ruled the world and that's why it's in shambles now. Before I stepped into the position and burgeoning R&D department, which eventually became the Ellie Wellness Division X years ago, I worked in resource management for Y. I was surrounded by food and water supply executives, heads of state, corporate infrastructure lords, all men, all fixated on the problems, never the causes. The surveyor pilot is going to do something never before conceived or attempted, reclamation and rehabilitation and classification of environmental health factors and hazards based on entirely reimagined human frameworks. 
putting people at the center of rehabilitative wellness care rather than continuing to cordon them off in environmental bubbles. We are about to step out using technology to integrate ourselves with our environments and adjust, not bend, the environment to our will. It's time to think beyond the confines of the man's world and act on the potential of our women-led dreams. Rawl was stunned. One of the persons Sully's handlers started clapping. Today, the doctor continued, the clapping ceased immediately. Today is a conception date. Our preliminary primary unit meets today. Rawl realized with certainty that Dr. Orne had yet to address any of them personally or even acknowledge their presence. Surveyors! And suddenly... Their vision was pierced by the vacant, endless stare of Dr. Orne's dilated pupils. Today marks the next stage of your training. We are releasing your confines of tightly monitored scheduling, your care aid's constant presence, your solitary isolation. Consider this your graduation ceremony, both individual and shared, with your new comrades. These are the people you will be assigned to for your debut survey run. We hope that you will each get to know one another as well as we do you. There was gleeful laughter and applause from the handlers. Who is laughing, Well thought. They watched the brooding, skittish one look around, eyes darting from person to place. The one Suli was clapping, and the one Miss Peña Fiel was staring deadpan into Dr. Warren's direction, otherwise motionless. On cue, a fine mist befitting their tropical greenhouse location began to gently cascade down from the concealed ceiling and side jets. Rao frowned inwardly, seeing their celebratory food and drink was uncovered. The handlers were cooing. Dr. Orne was leaving her podium wearing a leisured smile, joking with the gnat, maybe. The mist fell down. A handler urged Rawl to go forth, mingle, and buy. It's a celebration. We did it, the one says. Rawl wonders, did what? And takes himself out towards the open center where the others approach. They began to think, I'm surprised that our handlers would eat the very same food that we would eat. Is this some show of breaking bread? Rawl approached the feast table, attempting to mask a body hesitation born of survival as a mere quandary of choice. There is so much food here at once, so many fruits, nuts, herbs, vegetables, eggs and grains, so much of it they've had to grow and hand over in their time before coming here. Suddenly, Rawl registered the undulating vibrational tempo of Dr. Orne's gnat diamond against the back of their head. Then Dr. Orne herself eclipsed Rawl's line of sight. Rawl, she said finally, rolling the R of their name against her teeth in some attempt to display her knowledge, thus affinity for Rawl's native language. She had never before addressed them by this given name, as Rawl had never given it to her, and now they felt the haunting pang of resentment bristle their demeanor of calm. Yes, Dr. Orne. 
You've always been suspicious of your meals here. Why? I'm still overcome by the novelty, doctor. You used to grow so much of it, isn't that right? Yes. You didn't realize that our produce takes a final adjustment before it's served, did you? The doctor said. The casual and non-discretionary way she said this cut further through Vol's established way to act with the otherwise impenetrable program director. Yes, the sprays, I get used to it. And she uttered Rawls' whole misgendered suffix and family name. This is your life now. Sully's piercing laughter drowned out the end of the doctor's statement. The mist fell down again. Rawl inhaled it slowly, steadily, and finally picked up a plate. Whitey on the moon, her face and arms began to swell as Whitey's on the moon. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Whitey's on the moon. Who gets left behind? And who gets to go? <clears throat> what is the scheme under which they I left from Mars on that shiny rocket ship? And regardless of who is there, and I'm not saying it's no one, what happens when the logic of entitlement to land, to a place, gets spread across the stars? When the logic of empire, the logic of colonialism, becomes the basis of humanity's expansion into the world, into space, into the universe? Who will die? Whose new world will it be? Who gets to wonder about the stars? Maybe that's the other side. What you lose when you travel. Who you leave behind. Whose empire you brought from. The white is on the moon. 
like the mycelia of a fungus, growing and growing across the stars. just heard was written by MTS. MTS is a heavily cyborg storyteller and sloganeer from the 215. They serve as Minister of Crossroads and founding member of the Corner Store Sci-Fi Collective, Metro Polarity. This episode of The Floating World features sounds submitted by John Morrison, Rodney King, Elissa Ferdine, Cybe Bloss and Rachel McDonald. 
Other sounds were collected and composed by Ada Adiyatma, including the final song at the end. If you are interested in supporting and maintaining the floating world, please visit patreon.com slash the floating world podcast and consider becoming a patron. Please, Please collect your corporeal forms at the door before leaving.